who weren't here the last couple of weeks, we're in Titus, we're working our way through the book. We're going to be there for a while. And so, if you're struggling to find it, if you find Timothy, he's just after Timothy, you'll find the little book, Titus. And because it's not very long, it's very easy to, to skip past it and onto Philemon and Hebrews. So if you kind of find yourself in around there, flick around and hopefully you'll find Titus. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violence, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as he has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets that says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention the Jewish myths, or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And we thank God for his word. Uh, please open your Bibles again at uh, Titus 1. We're looking at 10 to 16 uh, today. So cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 10, uh, through to the end of the chapter. Father, as we come now to your word, we pray that you will speak, that we will hear what you have to say to your church for your glory and for our health. Oh God, we need you. And we pray that you will bless us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul knows that the end is coming soon for him, and it's time to pass on the gospel baton to the next generation of leaders, people like Timothy and people like Titus. 
And they needed to step up and uh, take on their responsibility of leadership. And of course, that's the constant need of the church. One generation passes the gospel on to the next generation. So what we need are uh, gospel-shaped churches with gospel-shaped leaders and gospel-shaped members doing gospel-shaped ministry. And all done within the context of the local church. Because the local church is the hope of the world as we bring the message of the gospel everywhere. See, Jesus created his uh, church with his death and with his resurrection. And Jesus loves his church. And Jesus calls his church his very body. And Jesus wants the best for and from his church. And so our sovereign God inspires Paul to write this book to Titus. And of course, it fits in with the context that Titus finds in the island of Crete. But it's also for us, it's for all time. Paul is a mighty man of God and he has no fear. He will tackle any issue. He will deal with any problem. And here, he, he deals with the issue of leadership because there's a problem of leadership in the church in Crete. And very often, sadly, there's a problem of leadership in the church in every age. And he gives over most of chapter one to the subject of leadership. Leadership within the church. Verses five to nine, we looked at that last week. It's a description of the good leader. He is blessed and he is a blessing and God uses him to save lives. Verses 10 to 16 today that we're looking at this describes a bad leader. So if you think, gosh, Alistair's grumpy today, it's the next passage, okay? It's the next passage. We go through passages like that, just in case you're a visitor and wonder why we're studying these verses alone. Really, today is a, is a contrast to last week. And we've got to understand what bad leaders do, the damage they inflict the hurt that they cause in families and in churches. So good leaders bring spiritual life. Bad leaders bring spiritual death. Yeah, it's as bad as that. In Crete, there were a group called the circumcision group referred to there in verse 10. Uh, to be a Christian, basically they said, you, 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 yeah, you accept Christ, but you've also got to be a Jew. They added on extras to the message of the gospel. At verse 14, we're told there that they're into Jewish myths and commands taught by those who reject the truth, adding extras upon extras to the gospel message. It's part of the Jesus plus movement. The Jesus plus movement. Or the salvation and message. And that's an ongoing problem for the church in every generation, including our own, including our own. Man-centered theology, adding extras to the message, human traditions, extra experiences. It can be something like this. Jesus plus, plus a certain form of the sacraments or a certain kind of experience and you need that experience or you need to follow the sacraments in this way to be saved. Or it could be Jesus and some very dogmatic liturgies or some political belief or 
can be even something like dress code. Or it could be the gospel and another authority, an extra book, extra revelation, extra so-called truth. It's the Jesus plus movement. It's been about a long time and it always will until Christ returns. That's why verse 9, by the way, is so very important in Titus, this book of Titus. He, that's the good teacher, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he may or can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You see, encourage others and refute those. You see, the good leader has two voices. Positively, encouraging those in sound doctrine and negatively, refuting those who oppose sound doctrine. There it is in verse 9. That's what a good leader does. That's what you should expect from whoever stands before this pulpit or leads your growth group or you listen to online or read a book about. Of. But we need to be honest here, folks. There are some who are deceived because there are some who are deceivers. There are some who are deceived because there are some who are deceivers. It's always been like that. The good leaders are described, as we thought last week, verses 5 to 9. The bad leaders, like those who described in verses 10 to 16, they're about still today. And therefore, we've got to choose wisely who we listen to. Choose wisely who we listen to. It's obvious, I think, who we should follow. It's obvious who we should reject and keep at arm's length. Now, two, two weeks ago, we, we noted how God dominates the early verses of chapter 1. Oh, God is the focus. You notice he's a servant of God, verse 1. The truth of God, verse 2. The command of God, verse 3. The grace and peace of God, verse 4. Gospel ship ministry starts and ends with God. He's our power. He's our subject. He's our goal. He's our foundation. He's our substance. We don't go beyond God. We go the whole way to him and in him. The focus on God. We also noted the focus on people, especially God's elect, as is mentioned there in verse 1. They're deep and extravagant bonds when, when God brings his elect together in the church. And that's why we should love each other and be committed to each other as we are committed to him and love him. Because that's God's plan for a gospel-shaped church, the focus on him, the focus on God's people. And Paul loves and labors for God's chosen people as we should too. And then last week, again, just to quickly summarize the qualities of, of a godly leader, you'll see them there, spelt out in verse 5 to 9. I just checked my watch. We don't have time to summarize those things, but you can read those at your leisure. Folks, here, here's the reality. If we want to be a, a gospel-shaped church that has an emphasis on belief and behavior, as the, our title is, then we need to know the gospel and we need to live the gospel. We need to share the gospel at every level, at every level within our life 
as, as individuals, as families, and as a church. This is gospel-shaped ministry. And this is what really matters. And if we don't have gospel-shaped ministry, what happens? Well, can I say the alternative? The alternative to gospel-shaped ministry is damning and dangerous. That's why we're going to... (laughs) We're going to struggle our way through these verses that are not terribly pretty, not terribly easy, but they're given to us for our benefit and for our safety. So what do we see here? Let's see how these people are described. Paul wastes no time describing these dangerous people. Just as he has described what good teachers are and good leaders are, he says, there are some who are not so good. For, verse 10, for there are many rebellious people. You see that phrase? I'm going to put the phrases up so you can see them because I'm not making this up. This is what's written. For there are many rebellious people. See, some people might be tempted into thinking, but surely this doesn't apply to us today. Hey, this has been given to us because it does apply to us today. There are many rebellious people. There are many dangerous doctrines floating around these days. There are many people teaching these dangerous doctrines. And there are many people receiving these dangerous doctrines. So it's not just a wee problem way over there. It can be a problem right here in our country, in our denomination even within our own church. So it's not just a few, a wee trickle of people, many, many. Rebellious means insubordinate and disloyal. Rebels. It's not a very nice term, is it? To be called a rebel? You, as Christians, our CO is Jesus, yeah? Our officers or leaders are The elders, members of the army, are the members of the church, are marching orders, are the word of God. But these people pay lip service to Jesus, resent godly elders and leaders, and manipulate the word of God. Many rebellious people. They demand, and this is what I've noticed, they demand slavish devotion from gullible people but they will never surrender to the lordship of Jesus or to the authority of his scriptures. Many rebellious people. And they're mere talkers and deceivers, verse 10. They're into speculation, not application. Plenty of noise, no content, lots of words, little truth. They often sound reasonable and right. They they, they look good, you know, they, they they look like jelly beans. But when you open it up and have a look and smell, there's another reason why I don't have a dog. Dog food tastes, smells really, really bad. Sorry, Hudson and the other dogs. There are some nice ones. I really didn't mean to say that. I don't know why I did. But these people often sound reasonable and they seem right. 
But that's a trick of the evil one, isn't it? Because you sometimes can't even put your finger on where the problem is. They're well camouflaged. Layers of deceit and cunning ways of presentation. But they don't lead people into truth. Oh, they lead people into fanciful ideas and theories and man-centered philosophies and experiences, but not into truth. Look what, look what they do. Verse 11, ruining whole households. You see, the cost is high. One of the benefits of being in a place like I've been, I haven't said this for a long time, but there, there are benefits. You can see patterns. You can see where deceit enters into a family and a family, the whole household is affected. That's what they do. Destructive activity. They undermine truth. They, they overthrow godliness. Ruining whole households. For the sake of dishonest gain. Verse 11. Paul, Paul probably means money here. But it could also include power or position or influence. Dishonest gain. See, the temptations are great. And the sin is clear to be seen. Again, I haven't had a vast amount of experience in uh, these rebellious people, but I have some. And I have noticed that, yes, they're very often motivated by money. And very often they target people of money. They, they often are into power and influence and control. Yeah. Why? Because the devil's schemes are just the same. He just packages them in new ways. And sadly, they work. So they're described there in these kinds of ways. And, and you know what? This just fed into the kind of the atmosphere in Cretan society. Verse 12. They're easily taken in because they didn't mind being taken in. In fact, they actually enjoyed being taken in. They were easy targets. They were easily deceived. They were liars, evil brutes, and easy gluttons. Imagine being described as that. Liars. They, they actually enjoyed and welcomed deceit. Lazy brutes, unruly, vicious, aggressive. Lazy gluttons. All the benefit with no work. Success, but no effort. And so the false teachers had a field day in Crete because the Cretans were suckers for these False teachers, ready and, and, and willing they were as an audience. It's yucky, isn't it, this stuff? It's pretty depressing. But be warned, if God gave us a scripture, we need it. And we need to know what these people are like. We've got to realize that heretics and false teachers don't come wearing a big badge saying, I am a false teacher. No, they just look like you and me. And they suck in the, the spiritually naive, the theologically incorrect. And by the way, that's why we spend so long on studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, the Holy Word of God. That's why we labor in the truth of the gospel to encourage you in sound doctrine. Because we want you to be safe. We want your families to be safe and we want our church to be safe. We want you to be able to spot the fake and spot the dangerous error. 
But some of you might be tempted to say, how could somebody so religious be so wrong? Are you kidding? Satan is not just, you know, a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He's all, he also comes as an angel of light to seduce and to attract. Calvin says that the good teacher, the good leader needs two voices, one to gather the sheep and one to drive away the wolves. Today, perhaps I'm a wee bit, I'm like the second. I'm trying to warn you about the wolves who are trying to hurt you and your families. Secondly, we've got the solution. So we've got the, the description. What about the solution? Verse 11, they must be silenced. They must be silenced. No messing around, no compromise. The word there means muzzle or bridle or stop. Shut them up, in other words. No dialogue, no debate, no discussion. A zero tolerance of such approach to ministry. You might say, is that a bit severe? Well, strong medicine is needed when disease is active. Isn't that right? So if you've got a cancerous tumor, a cup of paracetamol are not really going to do a lot of good. You need surgery. And who's to, who's to do this? Well, I think it's Titus and the elders. And uh, that's why we need elders who know the word of God and, and know the gospel and know the doctrine and are committed to these things who will stand up and to this danger. And then we're to also, I suppose, uh, to rebuke them sharply, verse 13. Here, here the picture is of um, knocking something down with an axe. And one of the commentators I, was, I listened to said, you've got to imagine a house on, on fire. If a house is on, a house is on fire, I mean, do you go up as a, as a neighbor and, and you just gently tap the door and say, excuse me, hello, there's a fire in your house, maybe you should get out. Do you? No. If need be, you grab an axe if you've got one. You go and you batter down the door and you go in and you grab the people and you bring them out. That's the picture here. Rebuke them sharply. Take an axe and go for it. But the aim, and here's the positive bit, the aim is that so that they, even they, will be sound in their faith. We don't blast people because we are angry. That's not of Christ. We rebuke sharply because they're damaging people and being dishonest with the truth. But our aim always is to lead people to repentance, to realignment, and to restoration. That, that's the aim, always. Grace, you see. It's the way of grace. But we certainly don't shrug our shoulders or ignore the issue or bury our heads in the sand. We deal with it before it spreads. The third thing and last thing is understanding. This is important too. If we are to really deal with these folks properly and graciously, we need to understand what's really going on. John Stott's very good in his commentary, and, and those of you who are group, growth group leaders, I commend that section in his commentary on this verse, verses 14 uh, to, to 16. He, he, Stott points out that in these last verses, Paul exposes the fundamental errors of the false teachers. And once we understand how they think, then we'll understand why they do what they do. And he mentions, well, 
the verses speak for themselves. Verse 14, um, they're, they're controlled by myths, you see. And they listen to the commands of men who reject the truth. You know what a myth is? It's a fictional tale with some truth, with some truth, to make them accessible, to make them popular. But it's a myth. And these people are controlled by, in this context, in Crete, by Jewish myths. And the commands of those, I've missed the E there, of those who reject the truth. And there are always some who get bored with the truth. We've said that before. We will keep saying it again. If you get to a point where you're bored with this book, then you're in trouble. You are cannon fodder for these people. And there are people who get bored with the, the Bible teaching and they go looking for something new, something better as they think it, something more, something exciting. And in my experience, again, it tends to be man-centered thinking. Man becomes the answer. Oh, we must get them saved. Or we've got to do this. Of course we've got to be involved in the process. But it's a, it's a Godward focus we should have, as we learned two weeks ago. But the fascination that some people have with extra, something extra, rather than the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is dangerous. New knowledge, hidden meanings, a higher level of experience, do you know what the early church called them? Gnostics. Colossians particularly, Galatians also, deals with these people. They weren't satisfied with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were always wanting more, more, better, greater. And they're still around in different forms today. Now you might be thinking, wow, could I be coming under their influence well, here's an offer. If you need help to understand what this looks like in your life, and you trust me, and you trust Jeff, or other members of staff, then come and talk to us. Because we'll be glad to help you through that. Because there are people who are controlled by myths and listen to commands of those who reject the truth. They're a syllabite. The second thing, and there's just three here, they have a false view of purity, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Like the Pharisees, they prized outward effort and external acts. When purity is an internal work of God's grace and God's spirit. So, again, these folks are into outward actions. Man-focused effort. Do, 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 do. When actually salvation, purity, is an internal work of the Spirit that leads to outward acts, but not the other way around. It's not outward acts that lead to some kind of internal purity. Salvation is an internal conversion. It leads to pure actions and behavior. And I suggest to you, if you read long enough or listen closely enough, you start to see and hear the warning signals about man being exalted and God and his grace and his gospel coming down and dying. It's a battle, isn't it? It requires great wisdom if we're going to be free in the, in the gospel of Christ.
And then the, the third thing and the last thing, they claim to know God, but their actions deny him. Verse 16, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. The fundamental problem is there, there's a, a gap between their words and their actions. They claim, we know God. That's what they say. We know God. But their actions do not back up those claims. They profess faith, but not necessarily possess faith. They're, they're almost Christians. Do you ever hear that expression, almost Christians? But more focused on man-centered actions rather than the gospel of amazing grace. And really, they're going beyond or stopping before the grace of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of this, you see how Paul doesn't mince his words? They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit. Detestable means that they're kind of a foul odor, you know, that kind of, a, you know, that kind of smell. I actually find that very interesting because you, you almost can smell them. You sniff their thinking, sniff their, their talk. You can see it, smell it. They're disobedient. This is also very, very profound. That means they refuse to be persuaded. They're proud, independent. And they're after you and me. And they're unfit. They've been tested and found very wanting. See, once you understand that they're actually controlled by myths, and they listen to commands of those who reject the truth. And they have a false view of purity. And actually they came to know God, but they deny him. Then you begin to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And we need to understand who they are and what they're like. But they say again, not suggesting that we go looking for them all over the place. False teachers and false teaching and error abound in our day. And if we want to be a gospel-shaped church, we need gospel-shaped leaders, gospel-shaped members doing gospel-shaped ministry. Yeah, that's very simple and that's very, very difficult. But I want you to be committed to the truth, to exposing error and be committed to sound doctrine. And we need to warn each other and we need to equip each other and we need to encourage each other and we need to present Jesus and his glorious grace. I pray that you will know him and his all-sufficient grace. And you will be protected. Please talk if you need any more clarity on these things. Let me pray. Father, we um, are very thankful again for your word hard as it is sometimes to preach and to hear, but so necessary to the health of our families, our health of our very own souls, and the health of our church. We long to be a gospel-shaped church that honors and glorifies you. So please, Lord, lead us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.